how can we lead even if we have uncertainty? Well, one of the things that um, I think when, when I'm talking with clients is finding out what do people really know? Because especially in times of, I'd say, uncertainty and fear, sometimes it's uncertainty and like, we don't know how good this is going to be. I mean, people tend to think about uncertainty as being a negative, uh, is, is really saying, what do we know? You know, it's the, the classic, you know, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. Uh, but let's talk about the things we do know. So first look at what do you know for sure? You know, you've come through difficulties before. Welcome to the Ripple Leader Podcast with Chris Hutchinson. I'm your co-host, Seth Silvers, and every week on this show, I will sit down with Chris Hutchinson, founder and CEO of the Trebuchet Group, and have engaging conversations with one goal, to help you build clarity and confidence for leaders and teams. This season, we are hosting these conversations live on Fireside Chat, which means you can join us in the conversation. If you wanna ask questions live, download Fireside Chat on your mobile device and tune in live to join the interview. Hello, 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 everybody. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Ripple Leader Podcast with Chris Hutchinson. I'm your co-host, Seth Silvers, and I am here with Chris, the founder and CEO of the Trebuchet Group. Chris, it's a Monday. So before we dive in, uh, what's something that you did this weekend that you enjoyed? Hi, Seth. I Actually, I got a chance to watch the movie Coda. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's fairly new. I think it was at the uh, Sundance Award Festival got one of the highest number of awards or something. It okay. Really cool movie. Very adult themes, I will say that, but uh, just really enjoyed it with my kids. We just felt like we were experiencing a different part of reality with a movie that's 40% American Sign Language. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't heard of it, but it certainly sounds like something that would be uh, would be really fascinating to watch. And and also when, you know, when done well, I can see why it would be uh, acclaimed acclaimed show this weekend i got to go uh we have our house being built so they're framing it right now so it was fun to go and see see the progress of the house that is being framed it actually feels like our house is being built which is wonderful that is cool yeah it, it's funny how that when i guess when house is built it's kind of like with working on leadership and there's a lot of foundational work that doesn't seem to go very fast and also you get this big spurt of things growing and then yep. the finishing teams that take forever yeah, to get all those layers and final paint, and it'll slow down. But that's what really makes it a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true. We've uh, we found ourselves saying, "Okay, cool." So they just have to, you know, put the roof on and you know put the wiring in and paint the walls, and then we have a house, right? But I know it's a lot more work than that. So anyway, it was fun to see, and uh, I've also been looking forward to this conversation. So for those of us, those of you that are just joining us. Um, here live on Fireside. Uh, today, we are talking about a very important topic, which is how to lead in times of uncertainty. Now, I personally don't believe this just means in pandemics or huge catastrophes, but it, I mean, it might be. But I think that we all face uncertainty of some sort very often. And I would dare to say that people who are leading others or even leading yourself are probably living with a constant element of uncertainty. So Chris, first, I kind of want to get some of your thoughts. Do you think that, you know, are, is there an element of uncertainty that we will probably always have when we're leading? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think some of the best leaders that I got to work with, uh, especially that were leading me, um, were folks who they were able to really look at a situation and understand that risk was involved. 
and trying to figure out how to minimize the risk, but not make it zero. You know, how, how do we, it's sort of like pick the least worst thing and move forward is often better than waiting to get to the best thing. And so these folks inspired me to then take risks and to try to figure out what I could do better. Um, and I think that just sort of rippled out through the entire organization that we're all willing to say, you know what, if I wait till it's perfect, I'm probably going to be overcome by events. So what can I do now that can make a difference? So a lot of it is, I think, doing something uh, with some prudence, you know, not just whatever the heck you want, but really moving forward can make a big difference because as you move forward, you will get feedback to let you know whether you're on the right track or not versus sitting in uncertainty and just trying to second guess yourself. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I've often thought in in the creative space, you know, my company, we're always creating things, whether it's podcasts or videos or whatnot. And so I've always kind of had this phrase of like, you know, 95% there and out in the world is better than 100% perfect and stuck in your head. And I think it's very easy to, whether it's uncertainty or you don't know the details or you're afraid, there's all these things that seem to like, we want to wait to do something or we want to wait to lead or to take initiative until we have hundred percent of the answers. And, uh, I have not found many of those moments where I feel like I have a hundred percent certainty on many things. It seems like most decisions, especially leadership wise are, uh, calculated guesses. And some of them feel very well calculated and some of them feel like more of guesses. What have you, have you kind of experienced some of that, Chris? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I mean, that's well said that it calculated guesses or just trying to figure it out. I think it's probably, I think my time in the military, which a lot of people stereotype as just take your orders, don't think for yourself. I have very different experience in that my leaders really counted on me to think and counted on me to appreciate um, what the situation was and understand what that was going to be and that, that I could lead in uncertainty because I was listening to what was happening I, I create an environment where everybody could say, hey, I wonder about that thing over there. Is that going to cause us a problem? And trying to make sure that we could really work together. And it, frequently, we, I mean, we didn't have 95%. We had like 35%. And I still had to move forward. And I still had to make a decision. And essentially what it was is what's the decision I can make that we can feel confident about because we have the skills, abilities, and we have the understanding that we'll move forward and cope with whatever happens. And then, mm-hmm. then we'll make the next decision, the next decision. It's not trying to make it perfect, but like you're saying, it, it's really moving forward as, as well as you can with all the information you can as you go. So that, that was really, really taught me a lot about being able to step into uncertainty when I'm responsible for other people and, and what we were. Right. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. And uh, there, it kind of reminded me there of some of the impossible situations that leaders often find themselves in. And and by leaders, we don't just mean, you know, you're a CEO or you're managing a ton of people. I think everybody experiences leadership in some way, in some form. And I think even leader, leading ourselves is where it kind of all starts. But it reminded me of this story that uh, is in the Bible with, you know, this King, King Solomon, who or King Saul, who's supposedly you know, one of the wisest men to ever live. And there's, can't remember all the details, but I know there's initially two women who are fighting over the same baby. They, they both claim that the baby is theirs. And so they bring this issue to the king and the king says, well, we'll just cut the baby in half and give each one half. And of course the, the natural born mother says, 
okay, okay, she can take it. And so he knows that because she was willing to sacrifice it, sacrifice the baby, like give the baby to the other person so it would live. That was the true mother. And so, you know, that's a story of some of the impossible decisions that leaders are sometimes put in where we're having to make decisions where uh, it, we don't know what the answer is. And But moving forward is still really, really critical and really important and even moving forward with confidence. So, Chris, I'd love to know from you, like, what are some of the ways that you advise clients as just to how do, how can we lead even if we have uncertainty? What, one of the things that... Um... I think when, when I'm talking with clients is finding out what do people really know? Because especially in times of, I'd say, uncertainty and fear, sometimes it's uncertainty and like, we don't know how good this is going to be. I mean, people tend to think about uncertainty as being a negative, uh, is, is really saying, what do we know? You know, it's the, the classic, you know, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. Uh, but let's talk about the things we do know. So first look at what do you know for sure? You know, you've come through difficulties before. You know the industry. You have a lot of relationships. Um, and this is not me saying that. This is what the team is servicing. Hey, we can do this. We've done this before. We've done some things. So when we sit in that certainty, then we can look at the uncertainty with um, a little bit more of a respectful perspective. You just are like, well, okay, there's some things we don't know. There's a lot we do know rather than focusing on the, what we don't. So that's one thing that I would say would start it off. Another thing is figuring out what can we do and then how quickly can we get information back on it? Because everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people would like to sit and talk till it's 100%, like you said, Seth. And yet we won't, we, we can't make it perfect sitting in a room. So it's like, what can we do to know that we're on the right track? And what's the first thing we'll see as we're going down that road that will let we, us know? And as long as we have that sort of feedback loop built in, we are learning as we go. And now we can walk into very uncertain terms, but try to figure out how we're going to survive through it. Yeah, I, I know that's been something that has been so helpful for me over the last year and a half, two years of quite a bit of uncertainty with the pandemic. I, I've regularly just looked at the situation and said, what do I know? And uh, I'd rather be acting on decisions of what I know than what I don't know. And with that being said, I want to welcome Boyce to the stage. Uh, Boyce is the founder up of the Trickle Trickle Up Network and the Mindful Skeptics podcast. He's also a veteran, so you should get along with him well, Chris. Boyce, would love to know any questions or thoughts that you have around this topic of leading with uncertainty. Well, I would like to build back on what Chris said about just being a veteran. I think that we're all in, in, in the military, you're taught how to identify leadership, proper leadership, which is praise in public, punish in private is the basics of it. And then when something goes wrong, it falls on the leadership, the highest person in, in that chain of command takes responsibility for the shortcomings. And when something goes well, you don't take all the credit, you disperse that credit. You know what I mean? Like, so to me is you have to have proper leadership first and foremost. And when it's in uncertainty, that's what the hand that that's, that's that magic sauce, right? That's that gray area of how do you do it without um, misleading your, your people that you're trying to lead? Like with my, my network here, I have, about a dozen people that volunteer and help and they believe in what we're doing and they depend on me to make good decisions. Um, and of course there's uncertainty, especially when you're just getting going and you can't really make, you gotta be careful not to make any promises you can't keep. That's my biggest thing when you're uncertain is at least let them be honest, let them know where you're at. It's like, okay, here's my goal. 
And this is the time frame for it, not just a willy-nilly goal. I want to be the best. Yeah, but let's say in a year, I want to be at this point of view. And that's how you can kind of show that you have some confidence, but you're realistic is, is really kind of what I see um, when, when it comes to proper leadership is having some uh, benchmarks that you can actually meet. And if you come up short, talk to everybody like, well, how, why did we come up short or whatever, you know, like kind of be, just be transparent and own everything. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, Boyce. I think it's really important to be able to be honest about what's happening, what's possible, what even even the, even the negative risks, not in this Pollyannish kind of like, well, it'll be okay, let's just press on. Like, here's what could happen, plus or minus. What do you see? What do you think we could do about this? I, I remember one time, and this is back in, I was in the military. It was the first operational, uh, basically, operation of the Predator drone before it had missiles on it. And it was after Scott O'Grady got shot down over Bosnia in an F-16, and they barely rescued him. And so they're like, we need reconnaissance, but we don't want to risk people. Oh, hey, what's this drone thing? This is long, long ago. And when, when I was on the second plane coming into an, an airfield in Albania to build a little base so we could fly the Predator because it didn't go through satellites at that time and had to be within so many miles, um, we took the forklift off the plane and the little winch that takes the heavy weights and puts them in the back of the forklift so it can unload planes was broken. So we got like 10 planes in the air coming towards us, 10 people on the ground. We're going to have to unload all this stuff by hand. Well, we had this fire truck that, that the forklift couldn't lift. And so take this story, make it short as I can here. We filled up the fire truck with water, backed it up to the forklift after we'd set the weights up on some wood and essentially tried to lift the, fork, the fire truck, which raised the back end of the forklift into the weights. And we repeated that twice and we can unload all the planes. We just had to kind of sit down and say, okay, what do we know? How can we work this? What are our assets? And figured out that, yeah, normally you would never try to lift a forklift, a fire truck with a forklift that couldn't do it, but that's how we got the weights on. So that kind of thing is where you can really put everything together. I think stepping in and saying, it's got to be possible. How can we do it? Yeah, I think that's interesting. We have a comment from somebody in the crowd from Wendy Cooper, and she said that she thinks uncertainty is actually the key to creativity, which lends pretty well into your story of figuring out interesting solutions to some problems like that. What do you what do you think about that kind of connection between uncertainty and creativity and and voice? Even you know, if in your experience, have you seen a, a connection between those two things as well? I would say absolutely because uh, what, what's that saying? Like uh, innovation is out of necessity. So when your back's against the wall, you have to come up with something or fail. So I do agree that Wendy says it. It's, it's definitely out of uh, the creativity is <laughs> welcome when, when all conventional things aren't working. The creative forward thinker is the one that usually gets you out of these uh, unforeseen, uh, you know, kind of uh, hurdles, if you will. Yeah, I agree with Boyce, and I, I really love that from Wendy because that's that's really – I mean, I think about – there were some really, really cool stories at the beginning of the pandemic around how people said, whoa, we're out of, we're out of these respirators, and they are really critical for people to live, and we don't have enough of them. And there was all kinds of creativity that came out. Okay, how can we repurpose an auto, an auto parts line to then use it? Or how do we open up – the solution of all the possible suppliers that could actually come and provide things to us. What parts could we use we haven't done before? So because of that necessity and because of that uncertainty, 
people got very creative. It wasn't like, yep, just the same old thing. And, and that's where I think there's a lot of possibility for people to improve and get better. So I totally agree with Wendy and with Boyce on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Boyce, thanks so much for jumping on stage. We really appreciate you and uh, I hope that you can continue to listen to, to the show. Chris, you know, uncertainty leads to creativity. What are maybe some other things that you feel like uncertainty or not having all the answers maybe kind of guides us towards uh, in kind of the conversation and path of leadership? Well, I think as a leader, uncertainty is vital because uncertainty can create a healthy sense of humility. The people who think, look, I got it all down. I know all the answers. I know exactly the way to do this. I'm not open to any other information. It's not going to really be a position from which to lead other people, to have them feel they can add to it, you know, or just do it my way and then everything's good because here it is. I'm very certain in this. Not, not that I'm not confident. That's fine. You can be confident and say, you know what? We don't know exactly, but I feel very certain that in this room, we will figure this out together. So leading on what's really there to talk about what we don't know, that uncertain uncertainty, I think can make a really difference, a big difference for your team and show up and make you, it helps you show up as a leader who's real. I saw so many examples of that in the last couple of years where, I mean, nobody had the answers, especially, you know, I think back to early pandemic days and I know we, we, in, in leadership, I know we, we mentioned the pandemic in these leadership conversations so often, but I think it's because it was, the last two years have been kind of a boiling pot where, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly has kind of came to the surface. And I feel like, you know, everybody's just, we've had, we'll just say we've had ample opportunities to learn um, from many things. And there were so many situations where I saw leaders, whether they were CEOs, whether they were managers, even whether they were just friends and they were, you know, posting online in they, I mean, we all have influence over people, over some people. And they were almost certain about their uncertainty. And so they were completely transparent about what they didn't know, but they were confident in that uncertainty and saying, you know, I don't know the answers. I don't know what the right solution is here yet, but we will figure it out and we will move forward in this. And it's strange how somebody admitting that they feel uncertain can actually make you feel more certain as a follower. And I found that so often and super strange, but I found it time and time again of that's strangely comforting for a leader to be authentic and be transparent about the uncertainty of this situation. Yeah, it's 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 kind of staggering how counterintuitive that is, or at least counter practice that is. Uh, I, I think of actually somebody, so this is a different leadership situation. I had a bunch of scarring in my sinuses that had happened over years and it had gotten to the point where I was getting constant sinus infection. So I went to two doctors and the first doctor I went to, I walked into his office. It was very fancy. It had pictures of athletes around the top and I was referred there and he was a surgeon, you know, that would work on this stuff. And, and uh, he said, okay, Chris, I've looked at your file and uh, we've got surgery scheduled for Thursday. And I was like, uh, hang on a second. And he said, excuse me, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of these and, and I know exactly what you need. And I, I said, well, I, can we talk about that or whatever? And he's like, well, I, I don't really have time for that. And I sort of was hesitating a little and I said, you know, I, I wonder if I could get a, another opinion. He, he looked at me just disgusted. He's like, fine, whatever, you know, those slots don't come along very often. So you better make up your mind quick. 
So he was very certain and he was pretty confident. I wasn't so confident. So I went to another doctor and he spent about a half an hour with me and he asked me lots of questions about, well, when does it come up? And do you notice it's worse when it's rainy or weather for, you know, connection to it? And we, we talked on and on. And at the end of this, Seth, he goes, you know, I'm not certain that I can help you. I think we need to do these tests and this test will tell us this and that test will tell us that. And then from that, I think we can decide what is really best for you. And I felt completely confident that we were on the right track because I knew this guy was open to information. Now, it might have been the first surgeon, might have been fantastic, but I didn't feel any kind of partnership. I didn't feel like we were working on this together. It was just, I was just going to be on the scalpel with the other guy. This guy, I felt like he really understood me and he, he took the time to get my problem and work through that. And that's the kind of thing I want for my leaders. I don't want my leaders to do things to me. I do want my leaders to do things with me. And that's what we recommend with our clients, to, you know, partner with, work together with, work through this uncertainty together, and we're going to have a sol more solid relationship and better results. That's such a wonderful story and such a good example. And I don't know, wh like, where do we learn that, you know, the, these tendencies of to be a leader is to be, you know, strong and not admit weakness and not admit uncertainty and, you know, to kind of just pick a lane and go with it at all costs. It's so interesting how we pick up the, these notions of, man, I should not show any, any weakness or any, you know, cracks in my knowledge or in my understanding about a topic, because then somebody else will, you know, not look at me as strongly. And I know we've mentioned Brene Brown uh, a few times on this podcast, but she's brilliant and she's also very well researched. She's interviewed thousands and thousands of people in her research. And she talks in her book, Daring Greatly, about how when I'm vulnerable, I feel like it's a weakness. But Chris, when you open up to me and vulnerability and you admit, you know, maybe that you don't have all the answers, I look at you as strong. And so what do you think? Like, where do we develop this tendency where you know, to kind of admit that we maybe don't have all the answers feels weak for ourselves. But then when other people show that to us, it feels very much like a strength. That's a great question. I wonder if anybody in the audience would know where we get that. I, I think there are uh, stereotypes that can be applied, especially for, to men. I think we're expected, you know, there's the big boys don't cry kind of stuff. I, I think those are fading, but they're still around where there's an expectations of how I'm supposed to act. And I just think it's really not helpful. You know, um, what's, what's kind of interesting, you know, so at times when I'm working with clients, you know, I, so I'm a tall, white, cisgendered, male, professional, you know, I have all these like unearned privilege with me. And I've got some earned privilege. I've done some hard work. So they've come together. And there's times when I, I've been with other engineers and we've talked about stuff and, and I can almost slide under the radar because they're like, well, I think you, you, you look like me, you feel like me, right? But I can ask questions that say, hey, um, what, are we, what are we concerned about here? How can we show up in a way that can help inspire other people? What's, how do we involve them so they're part of the solution as well? And it's, it's kind of amazing that I sort of get to sneak in and with what might be those stereotype of what you're talking about, you know, be strong, don't show emotion, tough it out kind of stuff. And yet I can ask questions and really most people, men included, they want to do a good job. They want to help people. They just don't know how exactly. And when you're vulnerable, that feels like weakness. So 
doing it a few times and having other people step up. So if you are, have a leader that you're working with and you can say, I really appreciate that vulnerability. Thank you, because I'm worried about that, too. Together, we can get to a place where we can be more genuine and honest with each other. And then we can be confident in not a braggadocio way. We can be confident in a way that really says, hey, this is what we're going to go do. Let's go try it, even though we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And, you know, we'd love to hear from the audience. Who are some examples of maybe specific leaders or just some situations where you have heard or you've seen uh, people lead well in uncertainty. You know, Chris, you gave such a good example and we got some comments from, from the audience. Lily, Lily jumped in and said that that was a smart move and you always need to be your own advocate. Um, and the good doctors and, you know, Boyce also mentioned that false confidence. I mean, it really isn't a good look for a leader and you usually can see right through it. And I, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think even culturally, like you said, we're kind of, I think we're losing some of that, you know, tough guy mentality, tough leader mentality. Um, and so I think with that is coming our, we have a heightened sensitivity towards when people are faking it. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's healthy for our culture to have. Agree. I, I agree. I think that the more confident with that, that confident certainty that those people tend to be pretty brittle, you know, because when that is challenged in some way by reality, let's say, or, or someone else, Frequently, that just breaks versus people who are confident and uncertain know that the idea is adjusting to what the situation is going to bring us. And so we're on our toes and we're moving around and trying to make sure we can deal with the changes that happen versus, well, I know exactly what's going to happen when it doesn't happen. I don't know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. I want to welcome Joy to the stage all the way from Australia. Joy, how are you doing today? Very well. How are you guys? Doing good. so interested in what you're talking about um, because leadership can be driven in so many different ways. And I know my dad was a very strict and stern leader, very much a do it once and do it well, very celebrated doctor as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that was sort of the messaging that that I was brought up with, you know. Um, and it was interesting, you know, it, from the military background, the, the way that you lead or or you are led by others um, is a little bit different, I guess, to the creative leadership that I've had to, I've been around and then also had to um, empower people and, and put throughout when with all the productions that I've worked on. So, um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating because I think as a female on stage often, especially when I was in my 20s and very young, um, just to be able to lead teams and often um, the only female on stage, often um, the youngest on stage, it was it was almost like a sense of, you know, having to tell people or instruct people what to do, those sometimes with more experience or more years, I guess, in the game. And um, it often felt like, you know, you, it, there was kind of like that 10 minutes where as you were doing your work, it was almost like proving yourself. So then they knew that you knew what you were doing or, you know, what, <clears throat> excuse me, or what, um, what had to happen. And once they got the trust and the confidence, yes, you did in fact do, did know what you're doing, then it was okay. So it was, it almost felt like there was this bar to pass. So as age, you know, happened, it, um, it did change and, and the authority was just kind of more naturally there. But, um, 
it's just very interesting, I think, to to lead people is to allow space. And, um, you know, there are specialists in, I'm sure, in, in the fields that you guys work in with who you, who you work with, especially on stage, there are specialists in, in the different disciplines. And I guess the art of the good leader um, is to be able to harness that, but then give them the space to fly in their speciality because we're all working towards that one goal. Nice. I, I, I can hear that being confident in not, not being sure what's exactly going to happen, but probably a, an idea of what likely is to happen and stepping forward in a way that gives people some freedom. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, the art of, of like the trust, you know, having the trust and then being able to empower others to to step into it. And then I guess they get more agency when you give them the permission to uh, really fly in that certain um, uh, facet of, of whatever the, the big picture is, then um, you often find that they, that they, that they give you more. They um, take more of that ownership and um, they feel more invested in, in the final product of what's coming out. So I absolutely love leadership. I, I I actually didn't think that I identified as one. It was actually a mentor of mine that had um, said, you know, you've led people on stage for 20 plus years, like this is what it is. But um, you can quite dismiss the, dismiss the ability to lead um, if you're not uh, – working in, I guess, something more hierarchical. So I guess for theatre, there is the hierarchy as such. But for me, I I really just um, treated everyone quite equally, even though we had different roles or um, systems or came in at different times, there was different, um, people had different uh, responsibilities and things. Some were much more heavy than other people. I think it's that, that inclusion, which is really important when we lead people um, people to feel valued and, and heard and seen and feel like they're contributing. That's, um, that's I think, when you get a bit of that magic happening as a, as a leader. Mm-hmm. I, I hear, I really hear in what you're expressing that you're building people up and supporting them and leading confidently. Do, do you have any example of a time that you collectively faced a lot of uncertainty and how you got through that together maybe? I'm, I'm guessing there's mm. a Example. <laughs> um, oh, a memory popped into mind. I, I do. I, I don't often talk about it because it was a it was a difficult situation. But it was also um, something that I, I guess ended up being a training tool at um, the Opera House for security and, and things. So it was a it was a large event. Um, Vivid. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's pretty pretty um, one of our big big festivals that we have here, and it's. Um, bringing big name artists across um, to the festival. It's also like an amazing light show that happens as well. Um, just, a, just a beautiful time in Sydney and I was working on in the opera theatre at the Sydney Opera House and it was sort of like a showcase of different bands for um, punk kind of bands and things. So it was it was quite a deconstructed event. You know, they had really big name artists but these were sort of more um, – Australian-based artists and I was the stage manager on and it was basically the last act where it was a punk group and, um, you know, there was, you know, they were all a bit anti-establishment and different things going on there and uh, 
the the lead singer had asked, um, you know, it was quite wild, like people were jumping in the audience and things, and you wouldn't have expected that in the opera theatre where it's all very fancy. and, and It um, does sound a little bit contrarian, so I, I'm kind of liking it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, so that was probably an error in programming, like to do that, to have have that that kind of thing going on in, in that venue. But the stage was actually quite low, and what happened was um, uh, one person came up on stage, you know, very very benign, um, no agenda, with his his um, cup of beer and and things. And so he came up and then another person came up. And before we knew it, we had about 10 people on stage and, you know, that was manageable. It was okay. They were just sort of like having a bit of a dance side of stage or, you know, downstage from where, where the band was playing. And then someone got up on the drum kit uh, because they thought it would be fun and stood on the kick drum. And so I had to, you know, get off headsets and come across to stage and, and gently pull them off the, off the drum kit and sort of send them back. And then before we knew it, there was at least a hundred people on stage and they were all dancing. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking the, the, um, the opera theater, mind you. Um, there was about a hundred people or, or more on stage. And so it was, it wasn't out of hand, but I think the case for me is that it started to get dangerous. So people were sort of spilling their beers because it was an open cup scenario, no bottles or anything. And people started to fall over the amps and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I had to call for backup. And this, I guess, is the leadership of where I would go with this scenario. How do we, would I stop stop the show? No one was doing anything wrong as such. They were having a wonderful time that it was a Mm -hmm. punk band. So people, you know, in in essence, could have started to stage dive or all of those good things that happen um, when Mm -hmm. people enjoy themselves on a night out. And um, I called for backup. So, you know, just for security to come up, just to help usher people off and things. And that, and because it was a, a big event in Sydney, there were it was also um, broadcast, I think, to the police as well. So um, some police members came up on stage, which we didn't want at all, and they started to form a police line downstage. And um, that's when it kind of got really messy because it was this kind of anti-establishment thing going on, and um, it got pretty hectic. It was really. A, a case of, um, you know, the the punters against the police and I had to mitigate that and master what was happening. People had fallen over and, and the band was trying to continue but it, it went to a show stop and without my me asking for the lighting person to bring up the lights or do anything like that, he just did it. And so it looked like it was a, it, like the police had stopped the show, which they hadn't. Mm-hmm. And um, to navigate that was... Um, was quite um, difficult in the moment, but uh, you know, I had to broker um, the the really tall, you know, twenty plus police on stage to say, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. I had to broker the um, security uh, duty head of um, head of uh, security as well, and talk them down. In essence, I had to talk down the the. Um, lead singer who was actually inciting a lot of the aggression that was happening uh, with the audience and how that was that was factored. And it was just this um, art of being able to turn it all around and then somehow get back into the heads, 
heads of the audience without being seen as such or causing too much of an issue to dissolve the police line downstage as well as, you know, get the um, the lead singer to continue with the show. And he was really riled up and just high on um, adrenaline and things like that. So um, I think that was that was the moment the the show started up again and, it you know, I think the nuclear fallout of press and media around the world could have been huge. It was it was a bit viral, but um, just the way that uh, it was okay, it was very early on in, you know, like the 16 days of performance. So um, it was able to be contained and things. And, and I didn't really see that I'd done anything too spectacular in the moment, but um, certainly the CEO and, um, you know, the head of festival and things like that were um, wanting to buy me drinks and, and lunch and, and things. <laughs> I'll bet, you know, <laughs> save the opera house from utter destruction. <laughs> it was a little bit like that, but sorry, that was a bit long-winded for you all. Oh, that was, yeah, I was there with you. I was I was seeing these, you know, punk rockers and the, the police line lined up inside the opera house, and I'm just like, I think that's a definition of uncertainty. Like what is going to happen here? And I, I hear that you were confident in your ability to connect with people and appeal to their better motives and figure out how we could make it something that we could succeed together. And it works. So great example of leading confidently in uncertainty. It doesn't mean you're going to walk in and say, I know exactly what to do. You're just going to step into it and do your best. And I, that's a great example. Thanks, Joy. No, thanks so much, guys. It's it's just about feeling into the moment. I think. Sure. <laughs> In that Some, instance, somebody will catch you. You know, as you as you you dive off of the pit, right? That's right. We all did a stage dive by the end of it, and everyone yep. was happy. Hunters went home happy. <laughs> That's Love what we that. can ask for. That's awesome. Thanks, Joy. Appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much, Joy. And uh, we do have some new folks. I want to welcome to the room. Uh, we have we have the the one and only chocolate Johnny with us who John is also in Australia. He might've been one of the punk rockers in that story on the <laughs> stage. You never know. Um, but to those that are new to the room, we're, we're having a conversation about leading in uncertainty. Um, how do you lead with confidence when you don't have all the answers? Um, Kate, John would love to hear from you if you have any input or questions or, or even some examples of um, times that you've led confidently in times of uncertainty um, or maybe times where you've been led confidently in times of uncertainty. And Chris, kind of as we bring this conversation to a close, um, you know, I'd love to know, have there been times where you felt like you've been led well in times of uncertainty? Mm -hmm. I, you know, so my mind actually popped to, and, and I'm not sure why I'm doing the medical thing today, but the times <laughs> that I went through, uh, each of my children's births, we have four kids and on one hand, completely certain that we're probably, we're going to have this kid on the other hand, completely uncertain to me of having, even when I've gone through it before, what's going to exactly happen. I'm not exactly sure. And the confidence that I got frequently was from the nurses who would come in and they would just look and say, okay, we're doing all right. And here's the situation and here's what's going to happen next. And they just had a calm demeanor about themselves and they walked in in a way that made me feel like things are going to be okay. And I could sort of pull myself down off the wall and just say, you know what, it's going to be okay. And I need to show up in a way that I, I could echo that to help my wife who was going through all the work that, that of, of having the baby. And so 
by being led confidently by someone who could show me how I could be, I was able to do that for somebody else, which made a big difference in my life. And all the kids came out fine, so it all worked out. Um, so I, it doesn't, as, as I think Joey said, you don't have to be the CEO. You don't have to be the person at the top of the heap. It's somebody who can just show up in a way with an air of confidence and understanding what's going to happen so that I can then feel like it's going to be all right. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that speaks to the, uh, the aspect of contagious leadership. I feel like when, when you lead well, it, you know, it's contagious. It gives other people the confidence they need to be able to lead others well. So I think that's a great example. I want to welcome to the stage, John Kapos, another one from Sydney. We're really, we're, John, we must we're be broadcasting to, like, live from Sydney. And, and visit all these folks down here. I know, right? So anyway, John, welcome to the stage. Uh, any thoughts or questions that you have about this topic of leading confidently in uncertainty? Uh, I've got to tell you, I love this subject. And um, I know Joy, she's a friend of mine. And, I, and she's not the biggest or tallest people on this planet, but I could imagine her putting her bloody cape on and just diving up there and doing her stuff. But um, she definitely plays down uh, her ability. She's a very talented woman, and we're really glad that Eva and I are friends So with her. But, um, yeah, I love this topic because it's funny how you see people um, – who are just quiet and introverted and all of a sudden a crisis happens or a natural disaster or, you know, something in the family and all of a sudden they just step up and you think, what? Where, where was that cape hidden? Um, and I just, I love that part of human nature. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the comedian of the family and no one really ever takes me serious. Only when the ship hits the fan, they're like, Oh, ring John, he'll fix it. And so, uh, you know, every time and uh, my kids think I'm weird because I will, I, I book my plane tickets close to the exit. I book our hotel close to the exit. I know where to turn left, right. I know how to get out of emergency situations. I've been in a fire and, and not that I saved anyone's life, but I definitely saved my own and everyone else was safe as well. Um, and that was the most horrific time. Yeah, I don't know. As a young kid, I've always been interested in these survival stuff like that Bear grills. I always used to read these survival, you know, and I'm a zombie apocalypse guru. And when I've always dreamed of how would I survive this? How am I going to save the planet? So it's, uh, it's a great topic and I just love seeing people flourish. I love the people in particular who you don't think are capable of. And the next thing you know, they just excel to, to stardom. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny, what, what's running in some of those situations or when you imagine yourself in a situation where you don't have all the answers, but people are looking to you for the answers, what's running through your mind? Cause it sounds like you don't shy away from those situations. Yeah, not at all. You know, I'm the first one to, I mean, a perfect example, and my wife hates me that I did it. Where our retail store is, next door was a, a fruit market, and upstairs, above there, they had premises as well. Um, and I was working late uh, at, the, at, the, at our retail store doing some paperwork. I got a back office that they call the Chocolate Dungeon, 
and you know you're there all the time so you know the smells it's chocolate you know the ta- you know you know everything the environment you're there so many days of your life and i thought hang on a moment there's a fire all right, so i went upstairs to the office nothing i went outside and not, not outside just had a look then i went outside and i could see smoke billowing out of the the, the premises i went holy shit there's guys living up there so i'm the, the, the fire's pouring out and not and straight away, I just instinctively said, get them out, rang the fire engine. And my wife um, was there as well. And she's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? We, we, you're going to get burned. So I said, babe, there's people could be up there. So I don't know. I have this, I don't know, to, to, you know, I've seen a car accident and I'll pull the car over somewhere safely, put the hazard lights on and run to the person, not worrying about my safety and I don't, I, don't, I don't know where it comes from. I just, I, you know, actually, you know where it does come from? I love helping people, guys. I just love helping people. And maybe it's my downfall and maybe I've been, you know, used by some of my friends and ex-friends, but it's just a, an innate thing that I love helping people. If I can help someone in, in dire straits, then my, my, I'm, I'm a happy man. But John, I, I really hear in your story, and thanks for sharing it, is, and it's great that you're helping people. I hear that you're thinking ahead. You're, you're basically aligning the odds in your favor in case the thing that may happen, so you're uncertain, but, but you're confident because you're sort of predicting ahead of time what could happen and taking action. I remember when I, when I took a Motorcycle Safety Foundation class and they talked about SPA, SPA, and they said constantly being searching, predicting, and then acting, not just sitting there and, huh, I wonder if that guy's going to pull out, move to the left of the lane or the right of the lane so there's more room in case he does. You know, basically act as if it could happen, and then you're ready if it does. And I, I just totally hear that with you being confident in uncertainty because you're thinking ahead and trying to take action on it before it occurs. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a motorbike rider as well for 30 years, so I've ridden. There you go. Many types of different bikes, um, and I'm blessed that uh, the only two crashes that I've had was when I was first uh, on the bike many, many years ago when I was 13. Unfortunately, I missed the cliff or a, a big jump and broke both my wrists and skull and came out of it alive and well. And that sort of helped me realize that you've got to be, like you said, constantly looking at the next step. You know, I'm driving at the moment. Is that guy going to break? Is he going to turn? And it's the right. same with everything, I think. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I love what you're saying because it's so true. With, And as a driver, please, if you guys are listening, there's a motorbike could be, a motorbike could be anyway. So look out for them. Yeah, see, there you go. Helping people even as you're cautioning folks to be aware of what could happen. Well done, John. Yeah, thanks so much for joining, John. And uh, and also, you said I don't know. I don't think it's ever a downside to to help people. So I think that it's wonderful that you're helping people, and um, that that's really the motive behind this. And I think you know, Chris, what I've been hearing in these in the conversation today, and in who we've heard from, is uh, certainly a motivation of you know. I think that if we're leading for the right reasons, you know, if we're leading to help people or, you know, enjoy a situation for the, to, to have a great event or whatever the reasons are, I think if we're deeply connected to the reasons, then we're going to be willing to lead in times of uncertainty. And, you know, I've also heard today time and time again, I think everybody said some form of, uh, 
it's okay to admit the uncertainty, you know, to, I think the worst thing you can do in times of uncertainty is to have that false confidence. And so, um, I'm leaving this conversation encouraged that, and, and, you know, as a reminder of it's okay to be uncertain, uh, what are you kind of walking away from this conversation with Chris? I'm walking away with something similar in terms of people being willing to put themselves out there to help others and stepping into uncertainty and trusting that others are either in their own qualities, their own ability, their experience, or with the others around them that the right thing will happen. And yeah. I, I think when we do that, it invites people to step up into that space where we all are more successful together. So a lot of cool leaders here. I'm glad that we had a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's been wonderful. And this is going to be a topic that we're going to continue to continue to share about, continue to dive into, because these are questions that we face on a daily basis. And our next conversation, um, which we're going to have next week on the 23rd, is we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this concept of vulnerability. We're going to talk about leading while vulnerable. And how do you be what's needed. Chris, I'd love to get a little kind of trailer of what next week's episode of the Ripple Leader podcast is going to be focused on. Seth, I think we're going to be talking about not only just sort of this outer part of, hey, I'm going to step into uncertainty, but really how can you use vulnerability as a way to have everybody step into that with you? And that that's the kind of change that that's example that people need to see so that we can be vulnerable together and therefore even stronger together. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to that. If you want to make sure that you don't miss that conversation, head to Chris's profile and RSVP for the conversation on August 23rd. We appreciate all of you that joined us live on Fireside. And if you or the organization you're with or somebody that you know is um, looking to have a deeper conversation about uh, leadership and about the direction of their company, um, you know, I've known people that Chris has worked with and I can speak highly of the work that they do at the Trebuchet Group. And so you can find out more about what Chris and his team are doing at trebuchetgroup.com. Chris, thanks so much for, uh, for being here today and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Likewise. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Ripple Leader Podcast, where our goal is to help you build clarity and confidence for leaders and teams. Don't forget to join us live on Fireside Chat to get your questions answered each week. And if you want to get in touch with Chris and his team at the Trebuchet Group, head to trebuchetgroup.com. That is T-R-E-B-U-C-H-E-T group.com. We'll see you next time.